This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation, like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Golf Show with Brian Katrick. He's been the talk of the course today with his huge drives. And Ali Dean. I really am rugged with him. It's early Sunday morning. The sun is coming up. I'm on the tee at seven. I'm here to try my luck. They say this game's a tough one, but I'll give it my best shot. Though the bunkers look like beaches and the greens like parking lots. Oh, Lord. Big match coming up, brother. Going to be Dean Caddy. What am I going to do? Why don't you try him a little left and why don't you try back up? Yeah. Give me just a little room. Help me keep my head down. Save me from those double bogey blues. Golf requires goofy pants and a fat ass. You know, you don't deserve any credit hitting the ball with that swing of yours. Try to hit one with my swing. I'm catching on the ball. I'm moving my head. I'm laying it off. Well, that's too late. I'm proning. When you're shooting, I'm clearing too late. I'm clearing too late. My God, my swing feels like I'm getting the launch here. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole. Save me from the double bogey blue. Welcome to the program. Happy Sunday morning to you. Happy Father's Day to everybody out there. And happy Championship Sunday. I thought it was funny that the show right before us there, the best week ever, just said when we come back, we're going live to Brookline, and they did exactly that. The golf show here on the fan, 680 and 93.7 FM. Uh, Brian Catrick along with Ollie Dean, Derek Thomas back in our studios. Uh, I'm up here. I've been up here all week. It's been a fun week at this 122nd U.S. Open at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. Good morning, Ollie. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's a U.S. Open tradition. Always ends on the Sunday of Father's Day. And don't know how we got here, but we did. And it's very nice. Leave Dad alone. Let him watch the golf. And what great golf we can watch. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be something else. I've uh, got a uh, couple guys at the top of this leaderboard, Will Zalatoris and Matt Fitzpatrick, who have been there before, specifically the very last major. Uh, they both suffered quite dis, uh, disappointing Sunday a month ago in Tulsa. They get the chance to get right back on the horse the very next time. That's exactly what you're looking for. We'll see if either one of them can finish the drill today. And... Uh, yeah, a we'll, ton to we'll unpack on this leaderboard, but I'm curious. You've been up there since Tuesday. Give us a sense. You know, there was a lot of pre-event um, chatter about the uh, rival tour that seems to have subsided. But give us a sense of Boston, what it's been like leading up to the tournament in the first three days. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got up. We did indeed get up here Tuesday, and it was a busy day because the the Red Sox have been in town. Uh, Boston, one of the great sports towns in the state. It's one of the top five sports towns here in Massachusetts. Um, 
So slightly ahead of Oxford. I think it's Newberry. I think it's right there with with Brockton. <laughs> I I kid the Boston fans because they deserve it. <laughs> to be honest with you, they did not um, deserve the snare drum. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Uh, I mean, it'd be great when they start playing some college football, but you know that's all right. They, uh, oh yeah, it is they a great sports town. College football, Cambridge. <laughs> well, Boston College is right in between the city and uh, and the country club, but um, you know they 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 have a team. So look, we're we're glad. Obviously, you know what Boston is, and it was a big sports week, and uh, and I got an early flight up here, and those those days can get long, but it was weird. Because you know you get meetings, you get all kinds of stuff. You got to get out and see the golf course. I was lucky in that I'd just been up here a couple of weeks before that, uh, and we had tickets to the Red Sox game. The Sox were in town; they've been in town all week. But we're going on Tuesday night, so here's this little situation at the end of the day where, you know, that first day, that travel day, you'd love to just kind of wrap that thing up about seven thirty or eight o'clock, and uh, hey, I'll see you tomorrow morning. But no, first pitch was seven o'clock, and we're going and. We had a, a friend of a friend who works for the team, and so we had John Henry's. We sat in John Henry's seats, and uh, he's the owner. If you remember the end of Moneyball, that was the guy that that tried to hire Billy Bean away from uh, from the A's. And by the way, they were playing the A's, <laughs> so uh, I don't have a ton of Red Sox experience personally, other than what I've seen on TV. And this is going to be my first trip to Fenway. So from Brookline, from from the country club where we're sitting in the clubhouse, Fenway Park, the map says it's three and a half miles. And, of course, it's going to take 45 minutes because it's a game day. <laughs> but uh, it was it was really cool. We walk in, and I get to see Fenway Park for the first time. It's It's everything you think it is, including very old, like until you get out through the atrium there and you get a view of the ballpark. I mean, you're seeing exposed pipes. The hallways are small and dark, which I loved. You know, there's very few straight lines. There's a ton of people there. Everything's got a fresh coat of paint on it. But, oh, my goodness, if you told me this place was getting condemned the next day, uh, I'd have believed you before I walked out there into the seats. And I think that's what everybody else would tell you about Fenway Park. Then you walk out into the seats. And you realize that much like Augusta National or Daytona Motor Speedway, Indianapolis, Churchill Downs, uh, you're in one of the cathedrals of sports. And you just have to stop and take it in. And luckily, Ollie, I w- there's a lot of folks that do that. So the, the locals aren't mad at you if you stop while you're in the aisles because it's the first time seeing Fenway. They've seen a lot of people with that expression on their face. Yeah, I'm sure that they have. It's like, I remember the first time I went to Wrigley Field, I got that sensation. Um, you know, outside the stadium, walking into your seats, you're like, man, I don't understand the allure of this place. It's it's kind of decrepit. And then you walk out, and the field opens up to you. You see that green grass. You see, you know, the the brick walls, and you're like, I get it now. This is a pretty special place. 
But you had an interesting yeah. story about the pitching change. I want, I want to share that story with everybody. Well, I was involved. I mean, I threw the sixth inning, which I thought was great. Um, one of our guys, Carl Paulson, actually pinch hit in the seventh. Um, our seats were so good. How many pitches did it take you to get through the inning? <laughs> Luckily, I induced some ground balls. Uh no, actually, the Red Sox had a guy that got into the eighth. He threw, he actually threw all the way through the eighth. I don't know who he was, but a wonderful young man. Threw eight innings, uh, just a couple of hits. The, the A's only had one run. So the game took less than three hours, which was unusual because the A's made a couple of pitching changes, but they were all in between innings. The Red Sox didn't make one until in between the eighth and the ninth. So you didn't have those mid inning pitching changes. Uh, and that that was it was kind of it was a little bit of, of it was good and bad, but because our seats were sitting down there, we were between the Red Sox dugout on the first base side. We were between there and home plate. We were below ground level, like the dirt came to about our shins when we stood up. The field was a was a half a step above us. And Alex Cora, the Red Sox manager, sits on that front left step of the dugout. We sit six inches to his left. That's where I was. I was leaning against the dugout because I put my went ahead and turned kind of sideways in my chair and looked at the field over my right shoulder. That way I had my back to Alex so that everything I said wasn't flooding his eardrum. Our entire group kind of had to face that way so that we weren't bothering him. Uh, he, of course, was looking out the field and not not the most vocal, but... Uh, but, you know, you could tell what he was doing. I could see his lineup card. I could hear everything when he did say it. So the pitcher gets into the eighth. He puts a couple of runs on, uh, puts a couple of runners on, and it's still, you know, they've got a five-run lead. But uh, he, uh, he's got a couple runners on, and for some reason, with nobody out, for some reason, John McGinnis, who's there with me, just decides I'm a baseball guru now. He's never asked me a baseball question in his life, and, and that's, right because i'm not a baseball guru covered the braves for a bunch of years but he turns and looks at me and he goes would you pull this guy right now or would you let him would you let him face another batter well right before he had said that alex cora called his pitching coach over and uh told him hey uh get i uh, couldn't hear who he said but get so and so up if he lets another guy on we're gonna get him so John McGinnis right then asked me, hey, would you pull him? And I said, well, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> but I got a good idea but what I, Alex Cora is going to do. I can tell you what they're going to do because <laughs> I'm leaning on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, the guy gets a pop-up and he gets, out, he gets a double play. He gets out of the inning, throws eight innings, and it was fantastic. So my, my decision was a good one <laughs> to leave him in. That's <laughs> what you get the big bucks for. No doubt about it. Yeah. Speaking uh, of big bucks. Um, how about the LIV dominating the pre-event press conferences? Yeah, that was well. You, you had you had Dustin Johnson facing people. You know, you had Phil Mickelson. This press conference that we wanted to see at the PGA Championship happened, but it was not the one we wanted to see at the PGA Championship. And I'm I'm trying to think back, Ali, when we were talking about all the possibilities for Phil facing the media for the first time. I don't think. This was one that we thought was likely. What what wound up happening, Phil didn't play in the PGA, so he didn't meet the media. He did meet the media this week. He stood there on Tuesday for, what, 13, 14 minutes? Yeah. Something like that. It wasn't long. 
They were uncomfortable minutes, though. Yeah, well, it's because he didn't play. He just stood there with a blank stare on his face and let them ask whatever they wanted. There was some hassling of he didn't like the multi-part questions. Uh, you know, he's like, well, you're asking me three questions. And the one guy that hassled him back, he's like, well, it's actually uh, the same question. It's three parts. And actually, that guy was wrong. It was three different questions. I went back and watched it. I was like, no, those were three questions. Uh, but that was as contentious as it got. Was Phil nitpicking about, you asked me three questions instead of one question? Yeah, I think it was the he Alex gave- Maselli question. There was a little bit of contention there where Alex, I believe it was Alex Maselli, asked him, what did you do to grow the game in London? Yeah, no, it wasn't Alex. I mean, he, I think he was contentious with Alex, too. This was a guy, this was a name and a voice that I had not heard of that asked him the three-parter and then came back at him, said, no, it's not. It's actually one question. No, it was actually three questions, Toolbox. Uh, and you're a writer. You're supposed to know that. Alex is a, not only a writer, he's an attorney. Uh, Alex, he didn't like Alex's question. He didn't really care. He actually, Chris, Christine Brennan was there. He corrected her. <laughs> she, she got a name wrong. He gets the name right. And corrected her on her question, but again, that's as contentious as it got. We thought that they were gonna they were gonna upset Phil, and that he was gonna snap and start yelling at him. And the advice he got was, "No, don't do it. Don't tell him anything. Just stand there and take it." And that's what he did for close to twenty minutes. Just stood there and took it, and he walked out. Everybody said it was boring. And, Ollie, that's about as good as you could possibly do if you're oh, Phil Mickelson. Yeah, yeah. If, if that's the consensus, Phil Mickelson's handlers were high-fiving each other for boring. Yeah. Boring was the best possible reaction you could get. And consequently, because he got boring instead of contentious, he garnered support. The way this thing has turned, and it's not fan support because he was always going to have fan support. He, he's lost fan support. But as we talked about, nobody was coming here to the U.S. Open just to heckle Phil. They've limited it 25,000 tickets. This is a once-in-a-lifetime chance to, to go to a major championship. You're not going to give that up. We see that every year at the Masters. Uh, this, uh, these folks didn't come here to heckle Phil. He heard one funny bit of trash talk, which we'll get into. Uh, but but Phil's going to get support. Even though if, if you don't like Phil, you just didn't go follow him this week that's how the fans handled it that's not how the media handled it but because he didn't give them anything to work with uh, you got guys like charles barkley uh, coming out and saying hey money's the money uh the, the capitalistic approach to this whole live situation has taken hold here this week a little more than i thought it would that's an interesting take um I think Golf Digest did a piece where they actually had somebody follow Phil on Thursday, and they actually interviewed, like, three people that they chased down that heckled him. Um, it was kind of just kind of sophomore journalism, if I'm being honest. But it is an interesting dynamic. Uh, the lines are certainly drawn. What, what I took away from all the pre-event press conferences was you have the people that say, you know, you take the money if somebody offered you $200 million, and then you have... You know, the people that are really aligning themselves with Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, you know, the three main faces as of today um, that are defending the tour and extolling the virtues of playing, you know, 72 holes of championship golf with a cut. And and I think this I think there's going to be a divide um, that continues. And I think it's going to be more pronounced and more defined as we move forward. 
Yeah, the, the the way that it came across. Now, again, if you don't like this tour, which there are a lot of folks that don't like this tour, you were hoping for something that would squash it this week. Well, we didn't get that. Uh, but what you got out of a definition, as a matter of fact, you, you may have something that's breathed a little life into it because the uh, the rumors of the European tour getting in bed with the Saudis are getting stronger every day. Keith Pelly is actually going to allow the European tour players to play next week in Germany. He's going to allow the live players to play in the European tour event next week in Germany. He's going to make an announcement uh I think it's the following Wednesday or maybe maybe Thursday of that event, but he's going to let them play. Now, his announcement might be, this is it. It's one and done. Or his announcement might be, you know, they bought us. We, uh, <laughs> we're now owned by Greg Norman. I don't know what his announcement's going to be. But the European Tour is in position to absolutely hose the PGA Tour, and they're probably going to take it. Um, but right now, the way that, you know, the way that it has left was, yeah, m- more money, less work. But it's more of a retirement package. Nobody's going over there to play for Greg Norman to prove they're the best in the world. They were going over there to play for Greg Norman because they feel like they've already proven that at one point they were the best and that they were undervalued and underpaid. That's fine. Go get your money. But it doesn't, it's not shaping up to be a proving ground for the best players, which from the fans' perspective, you want to see the best players. Uh, they might have some recognizable names. But are you really worried about Lee Westwood this week? Were we were we ever worried about Sergio Garcia this week? You know, none, none of those guys are at the top of this leaderboard. And that's kind of where things are right now. Guys getting their retirement package, going over there and coasting off into the sunset. Can't begrudge them that. I guess you can. Anybody can begrudge anybody anything. But, uh, but that's not going to be the pinnacle of competition. No. And to your point, based on who they have right now, um, if this door closed tomorrow, um, there would be dancing in the streets of Ponte Vedra. Um, this would be a win for the PGA Tour. Um, unfortunately, I don't know that the door is closed. I think we're, I think the matriculation to, to the LIV and and all the money that's behind that, I just get a sense that there's going to be more names that are headed over, and you're going to see more names that that are competitive still on the PGA Tour. Yeah, well, that's with the European tour. If the European tour leaves the door open, then uh, then yeah, you're absolutely going to see more names because they'll have a place to play. Now there's still airplane rides. You know, if you wanted to play less, you're not really going to be playing less. Your travel's not going to be less. You're going to make more money. But the European tour is going to put some sort of a minimum. Right now, it's three events. The, it's it's seven, but it's it's the four majors and three. Okay, well that's that's. That's seven trips, and remember what Greg's plan was. Plan A is 14. Okay, well, that's 21. That's 21 weeks. That's a pretty full schedule. If you've got to play 21 times, you know, you're going to get well paid. But these guys, so, a lot of these guys don't play 21 times now. The PGA Tour has a minimum, but I think it's 11, and it's, you know these are all short plane rides or car rides. Uh, it's not as much money. So we'll see. If the European Tour leaves the door open, it's going to be disappointing. Uh, the media is going to let them off because everybody loves the European Tour, always has. I've been the only guy that's been telling you, been telling you for 25 years about that product. They're finally getting the chance to stab us in the back, and it looks like they're going to take it. But where it really causes problems is international team play. 
because they've been leading us to believe the whole time that it was the European Ryder Cup team that was getting decimated by Greg's group. Uh, but if those guys are going to get to play and the PGA Tour has kicked these guys off, the PGA Tour is going to have to find a way to open a door to let these guys come back on in some limited capacity. Otherwise, the American Ryder Cup team's got some issues, and the President's Cup might be decimated. Both sides. And the PGA Tour, by the way, runs the entire President's Cup. So there's some, uh, there's some devious twists behind the scene here with the European Tour's potential involvement. Yeah, not to devious. dive too deep, but just to, to give our listeners a sense of why the European Tour's decision is so important is if they allow them to play, then that opens the door for World Golf Ranking points because obviously European Tour events are eligible for them. And, you know, that solves the major question, which is can these players still qualify and compete in major championships? And it'd be hard to shut the door on any sort of, you know, rational reason if they're gaining World Golf Ranking points by playing in Europe. Yeah. And I'll throw this out there before we go to break. <laughs> you're, you're chew on this. Here's the wildest rumor that came up today. Oh, okay. let's hear it. Or not today, this week. Wild. I, I, I never saw this coming. I don't think there's anything to this, but I'm just going to throw this out there because a lot of our audience has experience with this. Uh, we have turmoil in this game right now. Turmoil like we haven't seen since the late 60s when the PGA of America and the PGA Tour split up. And this is actually, I would say, probably more contentious than that. Sure. Uh, so, uh, the... The Netflix special, okay? Yes. All right. So Netflix came into the sport of Formula One two years ago. I believe that's right. And and uh, really, gigantic boom for the Formula One audience. Gigantic boom for uh, for Netflix. That show has been lauded. But last year's Formula One finale was the most controversial. In a long time, they had the safety car issue and, you know, the, the whole, are we changing tires? Are we not changing tires? Adam Crooks is back there. He was watching. It was a complete travesty. What happened at the end? They just stole a championship from Lewis Hamilton. And Netflix was there to catch every emotion. It was must-see television at the time. And it was must-see pay-per-watch documentary TV later. Now Netflix is involved for the first time with the PGA Tour. And there are people up here, and I'm not. This is, this is this is not me taking a shot at Boston. I love Boston. There are people up here in the golf media that believe that there is a Saudi Netflix tie, and that they're doing it to this sport next, just to get better ratings for their Netflix show. How about that? How about that conspiracy theory? Wow. Shut up. You know the you know the best thing about that is. <laughs> Is that What's we're that? gonna we're gonna close out all the non-competitive golf talk in this segment, yeah. and we're not gonna talk about live. We're not gonna talk about Netflix. We're gonna talk about the leaderboard of the U.S. Open when you come back and join us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, so so it pulls every everybody's pulled out their phones. You know, we're at dinner the other night. This comes up. Everybody's trying to at dinner find the Saudi Netflix connection on their Google search. <laughs> They're asking Siri, hey, Siri, <laughs> do the Saudis own Netflix? You can't find it. Did you see Colin Morikawa's <laughs> pre-event press conference? Uh, probably. So his focus was, look, we're all talking about rumors. We're all talking yeah. about stuff. That we're, we're looking at the Internet. Our parents told us if it's on the Internet, it doesn't mean it's true. But we keep acting like everything we see on the Internet is true. 
So let's get off of this topic and on to Will Zalatoris and Matt Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Well, it was also on the Internet that he wasn't going. Yeah. Uh, you think he's going? Uh, he's told us in December. Why wouldn't he go? We just forgot about that. So, but Colin Morikawa shot 77 yesterday. Uh, the names at the top are fascinating. The guys that are actually going to win this tournament are even more fascinating. And they ain't the names at the top. We'll tell you what we're talking about next. Championship Sunday at the U.S. Open on the Golf Show on the Fan 680 and 93.7 FM. And now it's time for Who's Driving? Brought to you by Ray Judice. If you're facing DUI charges, you need a DUI lawyer who will step up to the T for you. Call Ray Cell at 404-964-4185 to schedule an appointment. Funny moment yesterday on the par 4 15th where Matt Fitzpatrick, who is longer than his season average, he's actually 22 long yards longer this week than he is for the season, but he only averages 290 for the season. It's averaging 312 this week. He hits this shot at 15 where when you drive into the country club, you come off of Clyde Street. You drive right through the middle of the 15th fairway. It's a little disconcerting. The first thing you're doing after you come out of the trees is you're driving across the golf course. Well, that driveway is 370 yards from the tee on this 460-yard par 4, 470-yard par 4. So Matt Fitzpatrick hit one across the driveway yesterday. 400-plus yard drive. And uh, he was playing with Sam Burns, and I just decided that there's no way that was Matt's drive. But it was. It hit a sprinkler or something. A lively moment on the broadcast uh, because Matt Fitzpatrick hit one well over 400 yards. But he is way up in his driving average this well, week. Much you, more you distance for Matt Fitzpatrick. You're going to up your average quite a bit. Yes, <laughs> that's who's driving. Brought that's to gonna, you by Ray Dudice. What about well, the he was up? He was up before that. So I looked it up. So we're literally arguing on the air because he's sixty yards in front of Sam Burns, and I would put your house and my house on Sam Burns over Matt Fitzpatrick in a long yeah. drive contest. Yeah, this I isn't would, even close. I'd give you the deed to make the bet. Yeah, I mean, this isn't even. It's not a thing, uh, but. But he hit something on this particular drive. So, uh, and, you know, then I got my producers making fun of me because they're like, you see, it is his second shot. I'm like, there's no way. They're like, and then Carney's like, you know, Matt, he's been trying to get longer. He just hit it 70 yards past a guy who's 70 yards longer than him. <laughs> I, I used to work for an old golfer at the University of Georgia when someone would hit one, you know, surprisingly long. He, he would always say, you caught that one on the right jerk, didn't you? Yeah, it's a four. I think it's four ninety actually. The fifteenth hole, and they're like, "Well, maybe Burns hit a three wood." I'm like, first of all, Burns's <laughs> three wood is still longer than Fitzpatrick's driver, and second of all, this ain't a three wood hole. <laughs> Nobody's hitting three wood there at all. What about my favorite uh, shot of the week so far? Though has been, I, I believe it was MJ Duffy who hit it off the three wood off the hospitality grandstand, underneath a tree, over the guardrail. I'm listening on that hole. No, I think it was okay, on 14. Yeah. 14 is the par five. Yes, yes, and he, then he hits the three wood from. Yes, hits the three wood from the grandstand. Yes, yeah. I mean, we've uh, seen people hit wedges from grandstands. 
That's the first, you know, fairway wood I've seen rifled off of the uh, the hospitality it was, patio. It was a nice, tight lie. Yeah. It was it a nice, was, tight lie. You can put some hey, spin uh, on that one. A few years ago, Tony Romo hit a shot like that at 15 at Pebble, playing in the AT&T, hit a shot greenside and backed it up like 10 feet. I mean, he pinched it and spun it. Uh, seen Phil hit a shot like that at Ridgewood. I think back-to-back events at Ridgewood in the playoffs, in which yeah. and they're separated by like three years. He's hitting it. Seen both um, of those, but never saw anybody pull head cover to do it. Yeah, from yeah, that was wrong. Uh, Last week in Greenville, by the way, I was a I was a frog's hair from having MJ Duffy as my professional partner, and you know you don't really think much of it. They're all great. I saw Georgia Tech's Anders Albertson up there. You know, could could have loved playing with anybody up there in Greenville, but then you see this guy who was almost my partner, and he's leading the U.S. Open. I'm thinking, well, I probably could have had some stories. Yes. Instead, I have I have no stories. But that's the great thing about the U.S. Open is there's always an MJ Duffy that climbs to the top of the leaderboard earlier in the week. I mean, great 67, not taking anything away from his talent. But you kind of know those names aren't going to stick around. You know, it's the that's right. You just you're waiting for them to fall off the leaderboard. But there are some names that have not fallen off the leaderboard this week. That's true. Adam Hadwin tried to fall off, and he came back. Adam Hadwin was your first-round leader, shot the low round of the week with a 66. And then he shot 72, and he was gone. And he was over par early in yesterday's round, and he was gone. But he kept the wheels on, posted two under. That's two back. The names at the top are Will Zalatoris and Matt Fitzpatrick. The last major championship, it was Matt Fitzpatrick and Mito Pereira in the final group. And, look, there's there's jaded media members that have been out here for a long time. If you've been watching this game for a long time, when you see a final group of Mito Pereira and Matt Fitzpatrick, I don't even know that you send an on-course reporter with that group because they're just not going to be in the movie for very long. You just know it. And that's unfair, and that's mean-spirited, and that's jaded, and that's exactly what happened at the PGA Championship until all of a sudden Mito... He hung around. Somehow pulled... Well, he handed it away in the first six holes, and then that number got better, and he kept hanging around, hanging around, hanging around, and darn if he wasn't one tee shot away from probably winning that thing. Still painful to think about that tee shot on 18 he hit. Yeah. But to your so point, what, Matthew Fitzpatrick didn't get a lot of airtime on Sunday at the PGA Championship. No, he was out of it immediately. And and you're not hoping for that. You're hoping for these guys, a very clear David and Goliath situation, and you're hoping for these guys to hang around. They usually don't. But we've set that story up now. Now you got something to root for today. If those if, guys hang around, it's a little bit more meaningful. And if there's a time for Matthew Fitzpatrick to hang around on Sunday at a major championship, you got to feel like the storyline backs him up this week. I mean, he won the U.S. Amateur at Brookline. He is staying with the same family that he stayed with during that championship weekend when he hoisted the Havemeyer Trophy. Um, there's a lot of things that point to Matthew Fitzpatrick hanging in today. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to give you I'm going to give you credit, Derek. Mark that down. Uh, Adam Crooks, mark that down. I'm giving Ollie credit. <laughs> yeah, this is this uh, is. I don't know if it's a first, but it's close. It's not it's a, a first. first. It's a sure. first. <laughs> it's oh, not yeah. a first. Uh, a first. <laughs> you knew the name of the U.S. Amateur Trophy, the Havermeyer Trophy. That is well, that is very deep in golf. That's very good. Do you know the name of the U.S. Open Trophy? I don't know. Is it condescending? 
No, it's, why, 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 why you be like that? I'm only 25 years in front of you with this. So don't, don't compare yourself to me. It's only going to end in disappointment. They, they give out a medal at the U.S. Open, too, right? Yeah, you get a medal. Yes, they, yeah. yeah, they got a medal at the U.S. Amateur, too. They're serious. That term medalist, they will give you a medal. Um, I got a medal one time, uh, and they didn't, I had to wait for it. I mean, it was worth waiting for, but like I, I got told that day, oh, you'll get it that day. So, I mean, I put a number up at a qualifier. I was the medalist, and uh, I wanted to go home. And they're like, oh, you're going to get your medal. So I waited around, waited around, waited, didn't get it. And it got mailed to me, like, at the end of the year. That's great. I loved it. Was um, it that's so, when you qualified for the Mid-Am, right? Uh, that was the, this was, yeah, this, it was actually a state event. But they still give you medals also. Got it, it was down at the Brickyard in Macon, and it was awesome. All right, what's the name of the U.S. Open Trail? Um, it doesn't have a name. Yeah, it doesn't have okay, a name. Okay, It was a trick question. Trick question. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Trick question. It's and the, it should it's the have Borg a name. Warner. No, the, the Borg Warner is the name of the Indy 500 trophy. The Wanamaker is the name of the PGA Championship trophy. The Masters trophy doesn't have a name. Obviously, the British Open trophy is the Claret Jug. The U.S. Open trophy ought to have a name, and it doesn't. Hmm. Just throwing that out there. Will Zalatoris was in the second-to-last group with Cameron Young at the PGA Championship. Uh, that group didn't make a whole lot of noise either. For a while, the leaderboard kind of melted down. Those bad numbers early became decent numbers late, and Zalatoris wound up in the playoff with Justin Thomas. These guys are chomping at the bit to get back at it. But John Rahm's won back. And he's he's the defending champion. Keegan Bradley's two back. He's won a major championship. Scotty Scheffler's two back. He's the number one player in the world. He won a major two months or three months ago. How about him holding out for Eagle on a par five twice? I mean, one was a pitch from the rough. The other's a 110-yard shot from the fairway. Holds out on the same par five back-to-back days for Eagle. Yeah. Last two guys, two Eagles in the same week in a U.S. Open that they won. Bryson at winged foot, and, of course, Tiger. I mean, Tiger's going to be in every one of these statistics. And Scotty didn't really respond very well. He was up there with two shots clear of the field it's a for a golf split course. second. Tough golf course. Oh, I mean, yeah. yeah I'm not, oh, how about this? Not disparaging asking, Scotty, but... Derek was asking about the par 3 11th earlier. Maybe I think it was before we started. We were talking pre-show meeting. Then I'll give Ollie credit. Adam, write this write down. Write that down. Write down the date yep. and time. Ollie conducts a great pre-show meeting. <laughs> really do. I mean, twice, you're twice, twice in one that. show. There, that's amazing. You're the guy in the huddle that you want running the huddle. You know, that's it's great. Uh, bless your heart. Bless his heart. Bless his heart. But Scotty Scheffler had a two-shot lead standing on the tee of a 136-yard hole. I think yesterday was 141. The par three eleventh. That's where he was too Ooh. clear of the field. <laughs> and he goes five 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 on his next three holes. Yeah, that, that hole is so tricky. You just cannot go over that green. And he did, and then left it in the rough, had a chip again, makes double bogey. It's it's just the U.S. Open is so intriguing in the fact that calamity waits around every corner. I think I've, I've thought about that. And so in so many golf tournaments we watch, obviously it's they're most likely to, to move up the board. When bogey is just as in play as, as, as birdie, or perhaps more so, it just leads to a very intriguing tournament. It, it doesn't, and literally you can watch one hole on a Friday and think, oh, that guy just lost the tournament. When Rory McIlroy couldn't get it out of the hay, yep, and yeah. you know, it looks like he's going to make seven or eight. I mean, it looks like he has a chance to put quad on the board. You're thinking, well, it's over. 
I mean, and he was leading the tournament at the time or, you know, tied for the lead at the time. And and you're thinking, yeah, one hole, he's done. It's just, but calamity waits for you. Uh, bogey and double bogey are in play. John Rahm looked like he was closing out the tournament. You know, he's leading coming up 18. You feel like he's got a chance to, you know, maybe make a birdie. He's the hottest golfer closing out his round. It's in the fairway bunker. Hits it in the fairway bunker again. again. Hits it in another bunker. Makes double bogey. And it's like, well, he's no longer five under. He's three under. It's just yeah. the U.S. Open brings that drama into play, to your point, Derek, unlike any other golf tournament. And you can't go on a run and birdie the next four and make up for it. I mean, it takes hours to make up for a double bogey because you got to make about four Sometimes pars. You got to make... make one birdie, and then you got to wait for the leaderboard to come back to you, which it will. Four under leads. Okay, we had 23 players under par starting yesterday's round. The scoring average was three and a half shots over. We got nine players under par. Here's what makes this leaderboard fascinating. Four under leads, two under's going to win. Yeah. So if you circle two under and then try to figure out who all is within three shots of that, because that's about as far as you're going to come. The round of the week's four under par, and they ain't going to shoot it today. It's going to be the toughest day of scoring today because it hasn't rained a drop. The wind's going to blow just as strong today. It's going to be another five degrees colder today than it was yesterday. So nobody's shooting 66 today. You're talking about 68s. Maybe 67. Circle two under. Who all could get to two under with a 67? Well, there's a bunch of people, and everybody above two under can fall back to two under, and there's only three names above two under. Circle two under. That's going to be your winning score, and if you know that going in, today is going to be fascinating. Yeah, I think one of the fascinating names at two over is Colin Morikawa, obviously leading the tournament coming into Saturday. Struggles to a 77, I believe, yes, and... But he's a name, if he gets hot, you know, that's a guy that at two over, I don't think is out of this golf tournament right now. He would need the round of the week to get to two under, which, as I just told you, mark that down. Well, one <laughs> of the things I the really score. enjoy about this show is that we don't do a lot of predicting outside of no. Brooks Kepka at last year's PGA Championship. But there's a name on the leaderboard that is fascinating to me that no one seems to be talking about at one under, and that's Sam Burns. Yeah. Sam Burns is right there. Sam Burns, Rory McIlroy, and Joel Damon. Damon had a nightmare yesterday, shot 74, but they're one under. And Sam, you're, you're fascinated. Sam Burns jumps out above the other two to you. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, Rory jumps out at that. Um, I think Joel Damon figured out that he's not winning the U.S. Open two days ago, so I'm not giving him any chance of winning today. Mm, I don't know about that. I don't know, but he's one off the number. Sounds like an that's Arby's why, lunch. Or... That's why I'm making the prediction. Well, I'm not going to bet on Joel Damon. <laughs> I love Joel Damon. <laughs> but, you know, we could bet curly fries on Joel Damon. Uh, but that that's the only reason. You're right. We don't do a lot of predicting. I'm telling you that two unders the number so that you understand what we're dealing with today. Uh, there's only two par fives. The eight, eight and 14. You can reach both of those. And a guy made a nine on on eight yesterday. Rory, I think, made six at eight yesterday or something like that. I mean, there's, Rom made a, bo- a bogey on eight. That's the one where if you come up short, it rolls 50 yards back down the fairway. Uh, so eight and 14 of the par fives are the only gettable holes. Five is five the 310 yeah. hole. Yeah. You, can, you can get to five, you know, and well, then Rory's gonna play those. A- Rory has to play those holes well. Did not birdie any of those yesterday. 
um, yeah. needs to take advantage. Of that. I think he three putted one of the par fives. So um, he's got to take advantage of those today if he's got a chance to win. In fact, anyone that's going to win today better be at least two under on those three holes to your point. And I believe they're going to put 11 in the front left. And there's a little bowl in the front left. It's kind of a sucker hole. But if you take the bait, we might see a one today at 11. Might see a six. Oh, we're going to see a six. (laughs) We're definitely going to see a six. But we might see a one. So circle those four holes. Those are the only holes where you can sit there before the round and go, I'm either going to have a wedge or a really good scoring opportunity. There's 14 others that you are just hanging on. These guys don't have that attitude ever except for the U.S. Open. We have it every time we tee it up. They don't have it. They've got four birdie holes out there. Now, they can make birdies, obviously, on every hole. But they got four holes, which means when you make the par on eight, it hurts a little bit. When you make that par at five and you got to walk over to the 240-yard sixth and think, damn, I left one back there. That par hurts. Par's not supposed to hurt. But it hurts a little more when there's only four real birdie opportunities. So... So, and there are some interesting names on the list. I'm going to bring up a name from the past. Lucas Glover, I believe, was the last to go through both stages of qualifying to win the U.S. Open. Yeah. I mean, Nick Hardy's at even par right now. He is well within that two under reach, and he's gone through both. Sure is. Sure is. Fascinating championship Sunday. Here from the Country Club in Brookline, it's the Golf Show on the Fan, 680 and 93.7 FM. Two of Atlanta's best golf experts right here on Atlanta's Golf Station. Now more of the Golf Show with Brian Katrick and Ali Dean on Atlanta's Sports Station, the Fan. You know, I just saw Nick Hardy was an alternate <laughs> for this field. Uh, we're live at the U.S. Open up here at the Country Club. Just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, it's going to be cold and windy. Yes, I haven't looked out the window yet. Like yesterday was cold and windy, and the sun didn't come out. I'm not sure if the sun is coming out today or not. I'm not sure if I can get to this window without destroying something. Uh, You know, like breaking the connection. Well, speaking Uh, of Boston, here's a name we haven't talked about. Um, I know he's not from Massachusetts, but I think if you're from New England... Everybody claims to be from Boston, and this gentleman's from Vermont, major championship winner. Keegan Bradley out of nowhere on top of the leaderboard. Yeah, and and the emotion, and we talked about these sports fans, right? So the Sox, I don't know where they are in the standings. They had a decent week. Seemed like they've won a bunch of these games. They won the game we went to. They, they lost last night. But we know you had game six in the garden and the NBA finals ended here and the other team won. Uh, so that was a little disappointing, but, but these guys, these are hardy fans and they got one of their guys, two shots back. He's, he's on what, what I believe is going to be the winning score. I think two under is going to be enough. Can Keegan Bradley keep it together? And when you're looking for just one little extra thing, Ollie, these folks are going to put him on their shoulders. Oh, no we'll doubt. see what that means. No yeah. Doubt. Did you see early in the week Sean Lowry trying to pander to the Boston crowd by wearing the Celtics logo on the back of his shirt? Yeah, Shane's a good fan. Uh, I had to look at it closely because I was like, well, maybe because there's a there's a football, you know, soccer team, you know, the Celtic Football Club in Glasgow, Scotland, and I thought uh, maybe he's just a Celtic fan. You know, yeah, is yeah. That, he's trying no, to win no, over no, the home crowd. Good for him. For absolutely, doing that. I got, I got I no it. hate in this game. 
Yeah, I love that. That's what it, he was. That was a basketball logo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what he's doing. What was it Ben Curtis that had the NFL contract and he'd always wear the the home team colors on Sunday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wear that stuff. That was good. Before that, Payne Stewart had that. Very nice. Well, Keegan is going to have something Boston related for sure. I mean, he's had the he had the Air Jordans on this week with the one green shoelace and the one yellow shoelace for the Celtics. Uh, but he is going to have something, you know. There and, and it doesn't even matter because they already know who he is and know what he's all about. They're going to be cheering for him. Uh, keep your eye on Scotty Scheffler. Won four times this year, but he's had a couple taken from him. (laughs) Missed the cut at Tulsa. With the PGA, he said that's his favorite course in the world. Sam Burns, who's one behind him, beat him in a playoff. So he's had that one taken from him also. Here's another thing to keep uh, your eye on is the closing stretch. Yesterday, 14 and 17, played as the second easiest holes on the golf course, which is kind of shocking to me with the par fives. But those are some chances where you can make some birdies coming down the stretch. Yeah, well, 14 is 14 and 8 are going to be the two easiest holes on the course. Yeah, but so as we, we, told you, we told you where the scoring opportunities were. Yeah, it's 5, 11, 8, and 14. 17 was remarkably short. I couldn't believe what they were doing at 17. Now, one of the things is it's because it hasn't rained yet. But the hole is, uh, what is it on paper? 370. 370? There you go. Okay, so 379. Fitzpatrick drove it like five steps short of the green. The long-hitting Matt Fitzpatrick, and he didn't hit a sprinkler on this one. He just ripped driver around the corner. That Those two bunkers on the corner at the left, that's that's the part of the movie where Walter Hagen, remember when uh, when Francis we met has his hand on the driver? Oh, yeah. And he baits Hagen into hitting the driver? It was actually on the 17th hole. Not Hagen, uh, Harry Varden. And Varden hits, he tries to cut the corner of the dogleg because it looks like we met was going to cut the corner of the dogleg, and he hit it at one of those bunkers on the left, and that was it. You can't get out of them. Well, Fitzpatrick hit it into the left rough, and it kicked out of the left rough. And the guys that weren't threatening those bunkers were running through into the rough on the right-hand side. You couldn't miss over there. Cool little hole, that 17th. Filled with magic. Keep your eye. You're right to circle that one, Ali. I'll give you credit. Write it, Adam, write, that down. write it down. Write that this down. This has got to be a record. <laughs> write it down. That's three in one show, I believe. Circle sort of the trophy. 17th. I'm going to get the, the, the U.S. Open trophy named after me at this rate. It's going to be the Ollie Dean trophy. We can't wait to see who hoists it. Adam Crooks, good job writing down credit. Uh, well done, Derek Thomas. Ollie Dean, I'll give you credit. Another good show. You too, my friend. Enjoy today. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, everybody. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. 
Hey sandwich lovers, today's your lucky day. There's a whole new way to roll for lunch or dinner delight with Nucky's Hoagies in the Roswell Corners Shopping Center. Now open, Nucky's Hoagies in Roswell is family owned and operated by the subsisters, Stacy and Shannon, whose love language is food and Nucky's Hoagies, their passion. When you bite into a Nucky's Hoagie, you'll taste the difference. The softest hoagie rolls ever, along with hunger quenching sandwich combinations. Make Nucky's Hoagies in Roswell on Woodstock Road your new favorite spot for lunch or dinner.